chapter 10. We're going to read uh, the first 12 verses together, as I said. Let's um, consider that just now. It's going to be on the, sc- it's on the screen already. And um, let's, let's read these words. And he, uh, that's Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples again asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. I'm Lander reading at verse 12. We're on weighty matters this morning. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult topic, but uh, that's the nature of consecutive ministry. When you go through a book, you must deal with what God has presented to us, and so we will. Uh, do you want your toast well done, dear? I wonder if you ever heard those words. Asking for a straight yes or no answer might sound like a good idea. Uh, it's a simple way to cut to the chase. But things in life are often not that simple. One man's well done is another man's half done. Uh, One wife's slightly charred but it'll do okay is an angry husband's cremated. For inside the yes and no are a hundred different views of what yes means and what no means. Just ask David Cameron that. He can tell you. We're now stuck in the complexity of what was effectively a simple yes or no question. Spawning one question from one question, a whole series of alternative positions and more division than ever. Jesus makes a trip uh, down south at the start of Mark 10. He crosses the seamless border and travels to the region uh, beyond or east of the Jordan River. And then he crosses back again and arrives down south in Judea. You can see it there on the map. This is the part of Israel uh, that contains Jericho and Bethany and, of course, Jerusalem. And the crowds begin to gather around him again, we're told. And as is his practice, he teaches them. Jesus is a great teacher. He knows the scriptures well. He knows them well enough to teach. Not because he's had them sort of downloaded to his human mind as a complete unit at the incarnation. That did not happen. Jesus knows the scriptures because he studied them and learned them as he grew up. This is, there's something of a lesson for that and that for each of us. If Jesus is a real person and needs to, to put in the hard yards to learn the book of God, then, then so, so do I. So do we. There's no quick fix. Uh, no shortcut to this. We, we need to, to be immersed in God's word as often as we can. We need to, to fight against that. If it's not easy and quick, it's not worth it view of, of, of things these days. Our tendency... If we want to enjoy God, we must get to know him. And if we want to know God, we must spend time in his word. 
Here we learn that the Pharisees are again out to get Jesus. And they pick a controversial topic. And it's still controversial today. It's the controversy of divorce. That's our first point this morning. This is a very important issue for us to consider. Getting it wrong one way uh, can have big consequences, particularly uh, for women who who feel trapped in abusive and and unsafe relationships. Getting it wrong the other way uh, could bring shame and infamy on the institution of marriage and the very name of Christ, as we'll see. Now, you know this, but this is also a matter of difference among Christians. And I hope we can be generous to one another if we disagree this morning. I hope not to fall out with anyone, please. (laughs) There are several positions that, that a Christian believer can come to that still fall under that umbrella of faithful to Scripture as a point of view. Now, we're not talking bizarre interpretations with holes all over them. Now, we're we're talking about solid, defendable positions that have existed in church history and are held by Bible-believing Christians today. Jesus has asked what seems to be a straightforward enough question in verse 2. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Yes or no, Jesus? Sounds like a straightforward question. But it's not, because as usual with the Pharisees, it all is not innocent. This is a well-laid trap. Mark tells us that in verse 2. They wanted to test him, he writes. They wanted to discredit the popular teacher of their day. The Pharisees have, have plenty of questions for Jesus in the Gospels, aimed at catching him out, if you think about it, catching him out in his words. Some of them are yes, no, like, like this one. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Yes or no? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Yes or no? Yes or no, but never just yes or no. Much more to it than that. When they ask him here about divorce, the the trap is something like this. Uh, If he says no, that it's not lawful, then he'd be going against the teaching of Moses. As we'll see, if he says yes, it is lawful, then he's soft on the importance of the marriage covenant. Jesus, as usual, doesn't fall into the trap and responds with his, ver- with his own well-formed question in verse 3. What did Moses command you, he asks. He leads them back to the scriptures, which is always a wise place to turn. In fact, it's the best place to turn. In fact, it's the only place to turn and serves as a model for us when we have a contentious issue. He leads them to Deuteronomy, chapter 24, which is where Moses speaks about this issue. And sure enough, uh, the Pharisees, they know their Pentateuch, they know their first five books of the Bible, and immediately that results in them coming out with a summary uh, from Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verse 1, uh, from the lips of the Pharisees. It's there in verse 4. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. But as it turns out, this summary of Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 is not a very good one. It's oversimplified. Because as you can see on the screen, Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 actually says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, 
If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. Do realize that nobody doubted that divorce was permissible, full stop, in the Old Testament. Clearly here, as you can see, it's permissible for Moses. You can see that. But if you notice again the summary in verse 4, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It's a little light on detail, isn't it? That's not exactly what it says. They have completely ignored the issue of on what grounds. This exchange, this question that Jesus has asked, is actually a question about the grounds for divorce. That's what it's about. Even though, in verse 2, it sounds, if you just read this right, it sounds like a question about whether or not divorce is ever permissible. You could read it like that. But that's not what this question is about. And the reason we know that is because of another account of it in Matthew chapter 19, which records the same event with some more detail about the question, which we'll see in the screen. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And that little phrase is important. This actually shows the controversy of Jesus' day. Were you a conservative or were you a liberal hung on this question? Okay, Was divorce just for adultery? Or was it for any reason you like? For any cause? For burning the toast? For, 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 for deciding that you preferred another woman now? If you take the for any cause out of the question, the question makes no sense. For divorce is permissible in, in occasions in the Bible, as, as we noticed in Deuteronomy. The for any cause was probably left out in, in Mark's account because he's, he's speedy. He, he's, he's a bit like me, right? He, he, he's, he just he shortens things. And, 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 and you, know, you know, like sometimes if you have this hot potato of the day, you don't need to give all the details because we know what you're talking. I don't need to say to you, you know, what do you think about Brexit and explain to you what exactly Britain is exiting from because you know You've, in fact, you're probably sick of listening to it. Consider Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 again. When a man takes his wife, takes a wife and marries her, if she, if he, she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs from his house. The issue of the grounds is summed up in the definition of one word in this verse. One key word in this verse, right? Can anyone spot it? It's indecency. Indecency, next slide. Yeah. What counts as indecency? Two schools of thought exist in Jesus' day. There's the conservative school, who said that indecency just meant uh, adultery, uh, seventh commandment, adultery. That's the New Testament word, pornea, sexual involvement with another woman that's not your wife, or indeed another man, or we could go further down the scale of decency but will not. Just adultery, right? That's the, the conservative school. 
The more liberal school said that this meant for any cause. In other words, for them, if a husband decided that you just didn't like the look of your wife anymore, she was indecent to him. They defined it like that. Or, or if, she, if another woman pleased you, she was indecent to him now, the first wife. And so you write a certificate of divorce and you send her out of the house. That's the, that's the two schools of thought in Jesus' day, right? And in, in the New Testament, uh, in this day, the liberal view held sway. It was a time when divorce was easy to get. These teachers indeed intended to keep it so. We can tell that by how brief their answer is in verse 4 and the subsequent discussion with Jesus that that shows their view. Their position is the more liberal one. For them, marriage is is easy got out of. It's, It's a disposable contractual arrangement. This this exchange actually shows a a light view of marriage among the Pharisees. And and that question there that they asked Jesus, you know, is it it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, is a bit like, you know, you've just been with a bank manager, you've just signed off this loan that he's agreed to grant you, and you've immediately turned to him and said, by the way, Mr. Bank Manager, um, what conditions can I avoid paying that back? That's a bit like what this question's like. I want out. I don't really believe in the contract. Jesus is unimpressed by the current practice of his day, and he holds a more conservative position. He does. And with good reason. For him, marriage is not a meaningless agreement that you can break for little or no reason. And he shows this by then going on the front foot. One of the important things that Jesus does, doesn't miss here is the other side of the issue. What's the other side of the issue of divorce? It's the issue of marriage, right? And the place of marriage in all of this he brings up. Look look at it, verse 6. See, he starts to talk about marriage. But from the beginning, God made them male and female. Therefore shall a man leave his his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. What is marriage? How is it to be be defined or or redefined as, as cultures shift, Right? If, if divorce is controversial in the church, in society at large, marriage is certainly controversial today, this week. Divorce is not a standalone issue in its own. It has to be considered alongside marriage. The breaking of the covenant has to be considered alongside the nature of the covenant in the first place. And Jesus goes there in verse 6. Notice that Jesus does something very important here. Something important for our day. Something, something important about that hot potato of definition in, in 2019 in this province. What does he do? What does he do? When it comes to marriage, he doesn't appeal to the, the, the sort of practice of his day. He doesn't appeal to the, the practice of Moses' day. He, he, no, no you, could, you, could, you could say, well, that's cultural. You, you, could, you could say that doesn't really bind anybody today. No, no. No, he, he doesn't allow marriage to be treated like that. No, he goes back to the beginning. That's what he does. He goes back to the beginning. The very beginning. It's the origin of marriage. That's our second point. But from the beginning of creation, verse 6. Today, today we're, we're, we're faced with the, with the gay marriage lobby. Uh, a new law brought in on Tuesday out of years of calls for equality and redefinition. But I didn't define it and neither did any of you. People from a 
Judeo-Christian worldview didn't define it. God defined it. Isn't that right? And therefore, we're not in any place to redefine it. Verse 6, God made them male and female in the beginning. Those are the two candidates for marriage that he gives us, and, and they're the only two. They're both made in God's image, but they go together. Verse 7, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's a quotation from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when Adam and Eve stand before God and commit to each other. This tells you something of the expected conduct of a man and his wife in marriage, doesn't it? They're hold fast, that's that, that's that, that's that phrase. They're, they're to be united in body. They're, they're, they're biologically designed to go together. And a man is to hold fast to his wife. He, he's to, to lead her. He's to care for her. He, he's to be the protector and provider of what she needs to thrive. And the wife is to, likewise to love and honor and indeed obey the one who God has given to lead her. She's to provide what her husband needs to lead her. Uh, they they complement each other. They, they, they were made for each other. Chat about the redefinition of marriage is false, for you cannot redefine what you did not define in the first place. God defined the word marriage, and he defined it as a solemn covenant between one man and one woman to live as one, to love and care for and cherish one another till death them do part. It's not a contract with mere obligations, easy come, easy go. It's a covenant And that's different. In a covenant, you give your very self. That's important. Thirdly, we see the result of sin. Jesus says to the Pharisees that you need to understand the Scriptures. You need to understand Deuteronomy 24. And you see, to understand Deuteronomy 24, you need to understand the context of what's going on in Deuteronomy 24. It's the same for us as we seek to read any passage in the Bible. This is not a command from Moses to divorce here. This is not even the intention from Moses. This is a concession. In other words, it's not a statement of planned practice. You shouldn't treat it like that. This is not this is an undesirable last resort that he speaks about, and divorce always is. As an undesired response to what's been going on. That's what's happening in Moses when he writes that. Jesus clarifies, verse 5, it's because of your hardness of heart he wrote you this commandment. There was somebody with a hard heart. There was a whole lot of them. That's what's going on. Jesus says it's because of a hard heart. It's because of rebellion against God and his ways. It's, It's a concession to a sinful people, not God's intention. Only sin results in the end of marriage. It's a a sin issue in the heart. That's what it is. For it breaks down the family unit. It's a very severe, it has a very severe impact on children. And it does damage to the sanctity of the marriage union. The solemn union of man and wife that God gave us pre-fall. That God gave us in the beginning. Important to say that Although the breakup of a marriage is always due to sin, the divorce itself is not a sin, so long as it's valid, as we'll come to. Verse 6 is like saying, it was never meant to be this way. That's the way you should think about this. 
It was never meant to be this way. Matthew 19 says this specifically from Jesus' mouth. But from the beginning it was not so. Originally it was not so. There was marriage pre-fall, but there was no divorce. There, there couldn't be, even if I had it extended beyond Adam and Eve and, and kept going to more people. There couldn't be, for it, for it involves sin. That's what brought this. Verse 9, what therefore God has joined together. Do not let man separate. God has heard the couple's vows before him and has joined them with a blessing. This is the intention. This is the the desire of God. Marriage is an institution that we need to protect and preserve. We don't just allow divorce willy-nilly, if there's such a thing. Uh, No-fault divorces were were actually on the government's uh, plans for the Queen's speech uh, the other week. Uh, It was voted through the other day. A no-fault divorce. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's basically like a for-any-cause divorce from both sides. From either side. And that breaks down the family unit massively. That, that, that's, that's a disaster for our nation. Do you know that? Maybe you think, why does this matter? Maybe you think, no one's forcing you to have a no-fault divorce. No one's, why does it matter if they... If they allow gay marriage, no one's forcing a man to, to marry another one. Or, or It's not compulsory. Sure, let them redefine it. Sure, we know better anyway, right? But to think that way is actually to think a little bit too small. Yes, divorce is bad for you. Uh, an American university researcher said it had the same impact on your health as smoking a packet of cigarettes a day. It's not good for you, but there are much wider implications. It's important because marriage breaking down tears at the very fabric of our society. It breaks down the family unit, and then that shows itself in the results of of gang violence and, and knife crime and depression and suicide. And can you see it in our day? Can you see it? It normalizes evil that impacts the next generation. And another, you know, let's call good evil and evil good, uh, has a cumulative effect on all of us. It puts uh, in place structures of, of, of evil that, that, that makes God's ways, his, his moral position, even more difficult for people to accept. When evil is presented as good, then good seems intolerant. And it just seems plain wrong. This affects the sea that we all swim in. And so it's vitally important. The Christian Institute wrote me a letter this week to say that I need to write to my MLA on on, on the same-sex marriage terms to to, to safeguard Christian conscience in our nation. I I hope that's something you'd be willing to do. This is important. This, This affects us, right? The redefinition, apparently, of marriage is massive. It's so important as a primary concern to protect it. It's actually, it's actually much more important than any deliberation on the limited grounds that divorce is permitted this morning. I want you to understand that. Much more important. But there's more. This is a union that, that is not just sacred in its own right because God gave it to us and he defined it. You know, this union is what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, is all about Christ and the church. I wonder, did you know that? 
Romans, or Ephesians 5, verse 31. Paul has spent uh, the best part of 10 verses talking about wives and husbands and their roles and responsibilities. And then he says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And that really ups the game here, right? A mystery. A mystery is something that, 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 that was still there, but uh, its true meaning didn't become clear until, until Christ comes. The, there were marriages before Christ. Of course there were. But people didn't know this. And now after Christ comes, Paul can write that marriage is a picture of the gospel. A signpost to eternal things. And if, a mar- if marriage is a picture of the gospel, then if it takes damage, the gospel takes damage too. And we dare not damage the gospel. For that's God's way of saving people. It's, it's his means, isn't it? Marriage is vital to have and to hold, to protect it, right? And that means, that that's the main thing I want to leave with you this morning. That's what I want to put out in lights this morning, right? It's vital to protect it. But as an aside, and as we're forced to speak about divorce here in Mark chapter 10, and consecutive ministry requires it, biblically, I want to say that there are two obvious grounds for divorce, and I will make some comments about a possible third. Okay, in the same uh, Matthew chapter 19 verse 9 passage, with the fuller explanation, with those words, for any cause, Jesus outlines clearly that adultery as a severe violation of the marriage covenant would legitimize a divorce. It's clear. You can look it up there. Matthew 19 again, verse 9. And and to get this, we we again need to see the context for what Jesus is responding to for this, this hot potato, this debate of the day, right? We've got to see that for any cause means, you know, there are legitimate reasons like adultery, but you just can't have a free-for-all, is what he's saying. But we also need to understand the rest of Scripture. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15, and he says this, To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and... Uh, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Okay, so this is the passage on the screen. Paul's talking about a situation, right? You imagine it, okay? Uh, You've got a, a husband who comes to Christian faith, but his wife doesn't. She isn't a Christian. Light and darkness don't go together. What do you do? Do you divorce her? No. Paul says, no, it's never commanded, not at all, stay married. Paul says this works the other way around by also mentioning a converted wife and her husband is not saved. Uh, What do you do? You stay married. But then verse 15 is important for us in particular. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. You try your best to witness with God's help to be the best wife, to be the best husband in the world. You pray for them, right? You, you, you witness to them. But, but if your unbelieving spouse says, I'm off, 
then you're not enslaved, says the Apostle Paul. In this, the Lord holds out hope for someone who finds themselves married to someone who who breaks their marriage vows in a serious way. Protection for that party when sin and hard hearts act like sinful hard hearts can. Adultery is a severe moral covenant violation according to Matthew 19 and abandonment is another according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And thirdly, now this is more tentative and you really do not want to open the floodgates as I discussed already. And I'm not entirely convinced, okay, but others consider Exodus chapter 21 verse 10 and see the possibility of other behavior as severe covenant violation too. Now there a man is commanded in Exodus 21 verse 10 not to deprive a wife of food or clothing or other marital responsibilities. Okay. Now some of your marriages are difficult. I know that. But we're meant to reflect the faithfulness of God. And, and in saying and doing that, we, we, we say, I will put up with my husband. I will put up with my difficult wife till death us do part. That's his intention. That's his intention. Absolutely. But there certainly is a general principle in Scripture that we do not enable someone to sin. And if there's domestic violence, we're not to enable that. So I'm talking here about abuse or or maybe neglect. Sin results in divorce. But there is some protection in Scripture for those who are sinned against. These situations are complex, please understand. They always are. Getting a fair account of both sides of the story is difficult. But if there's severe violation, such as the two clear ones that are outlined, right, let's go with that, leaving the covenant in tatters, uh, there's biblical warrant for divorce because of our hard hearts. But what about remarriage? Jesus talks to his disciples privately about that. Look at verse 10 and 11. Uh, He takes them uh, in the house and they ask them again about this matter. Now, there's some real difference of opinion here among Christians. Okay, I respect the position called permanence that Vody Bauckham holds to that. John Piper holds to that. Although with his son's marriage issues, he may be softening. That sometimes happens when it, you get to put a face to something rather than just a theoretical. But many traditional Protestants uh, would hold to permanence or semi-permanence, a position whereby you, you say that divorce is permissible on certain situations, but remarriage is not permissible. I think that's simpler to apply. Less messy. But that's not a good reason to hold to something. John MacArthur, who's a pastor in the States, says that he wishes the Bible had more to say on this matter. That would help us. Because... The truth is that the main views all have questions to answer. But having studied the Bible on this, for me, this is the one with the least questions to answer. What is that? Well, I see a form of protection in the language of release. I know of people in a church situation where a wife would not be allowed to remarry. 
She doesn't want to be alone for the rest of her days. And so her husband can carry on having an affair knowing that she won't do anything. She's trapped. I think that's wrong. For me, when the Bible permits uh, divorce, it's so that the wronged or abandoned party may remarry. That's what a certificate of divorce was in Deuteronomy 24. It actually said on it, right, you are now free to marry any man you wish. Therefore, in any case where a divorce is biblically permissible, it is by definition also permissible for the wronged or abandoned party to remarry. Divorce in the New Testament is a word that means to loose, to set free. Uh, the same idea as that, that 1 Corinthians 7 passage. You are no longer enslaved. You hear it there? When your unsaved husband or wife ups and leaves you. The marriage is no longer in play. It's, it's over so long as there's a valid reason. Malachi 2 tells us that God hates divorce. One of the reasons for that is that with Israel, in a certain way, he went through a divorce. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 8. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a degree, decree of divorce. Please don't misunderstand. This is so undesirable, right? Reconciliation is the answer again and again and again, right? But, and please see that the hit that the sanctity of marriage takes with every divorce. But, but, there are legitimate grounds for divorce in severe covenant biblical situation violations in the, in the Bible. And we must deal with this in the attitude of grace and compassion. For this is not the unpardonable sin. There are illegitimate grounds too, as Jesus refers to in verse 11 and 12. He says this, Whoever divorces his wife and, re- and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now that sounds again like a ban, right? But you have to understand what they're talking about. They're talking about for any cause, which is what Mark t- Matthew's account tells us. This is not a ban on divorce. And when you get that first bit right, then you can see that Jesus is talking about a divorce on illegitimate grounds. And he says, on that case, there's no proper divorce. That would be to commit adultery. Because it wasn't a valid divorce in the first place. It must be this way. Otherwise, Scripture falls apart at the seams. Because then you would have Moses disagreeing with Jesus... And you would have the Apostle Paul, and what on earth does, does, does he mean by the wife or husband is no longer enslaved? For according to Jesus, she's permanently enslaved if you're not allowed to remarry ever. That would, you see, it, 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 you have to take the whole Bible view. Or you get very confused. If all we had was Mark 10, then we'd be thinking a certain thing, but we've got the rest of the Bible. And that explains to us what's actually going on, the context of that. The Bible does not command divorce. It permits it, regulates it, it limits it. It allows it in certain situations because of the hardness of human hearts. Hard hearts that cause people to persist in sin and and hard hearts that make it hard to forgive others. Of course, becoming a Christian 
is about getting a new heart. A soft heart filled with the Holy Spirit. Such a heart is capable of change in the direction of Jesus Christ, is capable of forgiving a brother or sister when, they've, when, when we've been sinned against even severely. And marriage needs to be held up. It needs to be protected. For, for that reason, it's not a free-for-all. And on a case-by-case basis, we, we, were, we, we will be careful, I can tell you, who we marry before God in this church. It's incredibly important to me to protect it, right? For it's a gospel issue. And if you're a Christian this morning, if you have repented and believed, if you've been forgiven of your sins by God's work through, uh, through what Jesus did on the cross, do you know what the Bible speaks of you as part of the bride of Christ? And that's the real marriage. That's, that's, that's actually the real marriage. The, the other is just a picture. It's imperfect at times. It's often imperfect. It's just a signpost, an eternal pointer to something else. You're married to Christ. You are. And that's permanent. It's the new, tes- it's the new covenant, better version of God and Israel in the Old Testament, which fell apart, didn't it? Not this one. Not this one. It's unbreakable. It's beyond the reach of our sinful choices. It's, it's, it's a sure marriage. It, 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 he won't leave you or forsake you. He won't. He'll love you always and forever. In fact, in that covenant language, he will give himself for you. He will give himself. It's not just a contract. He's given himself. He will care for you and enable you to thrive as a godly man or woman. That's what he'll do. He will one day take you to be with himself, to live with him forever and ever. It's the real marriage. That those of us perhaps living with the frustration of being unmarried, maybe the frustration of being widowed, maybe the frustration of being divorced, maybe the frustration of, of, um, of some of those things, right? Those situations. And that means there's no, real, there's no one really missing out if this is the real marriage, right? Brothers and sisters, please let's be gracious with one another about this as we deal with this contentious issue this morning. I'm happy to accept this does not represent everyone's view, but I've honestly searched the scriptures And this is what I have come to understand. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you, the great God of heaven, and we thank you for what you've done in having marriage as a picture of the gospel, having us reminded every single time we hear wedding bells or send a card or see a husband and wife together on the street, that that is a picture of Christ and the church. Help us to 
understand the importance of that solemn union to protect it and yet also to live with grace and compassion when the reality is that we live in a world that is surrounded and given over in many cases to sin. Father, we ourselves know that sin is not that often far from our door. Forgive us, we pray. Give us help in these matters and remind us of Christ. In Jesus, our Savior's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together as the musicians join. Thank you, Matthew and Rebecca. From the breaking of the dawn to the setting of the sun, I will stand on every promise of your word. Mm-hmm.